Good evening, everyone, and welcome. Our first song tonight, number 139. 876, 876, after this song, we'll have our prayer. <clears throat> Jesus, name above all names, beautiful Savior, glorious
Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're so thankful to, to be gathered here today, to just to worship together, to study together, to grow closer to you together. Father, there's many things going on in this world right now, and I just pray that we as a church are able to stand out as a light, as a beacon for those to, to come to, to hear the truth, that Jesus is the answer, and that Jesus died for all of us, that we could be restored to right relationship with God and have our sins forgiven. Father, be with us in all that we do this evening. May we bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Our scripture reading uh, for this evening is from the Epistle to the Philippians. We're going to be reading from chapter 4 and verses 10 through 15. Philippians 4, 10 through 15. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you have had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it is good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of the, act of the acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except only you. Before our lesson this evening, we'll sing number 95. Number 95. If you can, please, let's stand as we sing this song. <clears throat> Days are filled with sorrow and care. Hearts are lonely and drear. Burdens are lifted and cavalry. Jesus is Burdens are lifted at Calvary. 
Good evening. It's good to see each one of you with us this evening. We are uh, in Philippians chapter 4 this evening. We're, uh, we're talking through a series uh, we started last week. I had forgotten it, but Rick has written, uh, is in the process of writing a book uh, called Twisted Scriptures, in which he walks through some of these, um, these scriptures that we're walking through uh, throughout this series, as well as others. So be on the lookout for that book coming up in the near future, maybe. <laughs> so, uh, so I think that will be a, a big help for, for all of us. Um, but certainly anytime we get to explore uh, God's Word and dig a little bit deeper into it um, and read it rightly, we are the better for it. And so I wanted to spend our time together tonight in the book of Philippians chapter 4. Uh, there's a verse that you're familiar with, and you've probably seen it on, uh, on football fields, um, maybe on the back of jerseys. You've probably seen it on uh, basketball arenas. It's a big sports verse, but it really has nothing to do with sports. And it's one of the ones that uh, irritates me maybe more than some of the other ones. Uh, it's Philippians 4, verse 13. I know you've heard it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, or through him who strengthens me. And so we really got to look at the context of this verse. What's, what's going on in the rest of the book of Philippians that would lead Paul to write these words, that would lead the Holy Spirit to uh, uh, inspire Paul to write these words? And so, as Derek said, uh, Philippians is one of the prison epistles. Paul's in prison as he writes this letter. I don't know how much you know about first century uh, uh, prisons, it's not a very fun place to be, right? Modern day prisons are not a very fun place to be, but certainly in the first century, this is even more uh, heightened experience than what you might um, think of today in modern day prisons. He's probably somewhere in a cave. Um, later on, we know he's, he's, um, he's imprisoned in a house um, at his own expense. And so this is not at his own expense uh, at this particular occasion, seems like. Um, so this, I think we're meant to envision maybe a cave, um, some, some dank, dark place where the authorities have placed him uh, in an effort to, to cow him, in an effort to uh, get it through his head. Stop talking about this, Jesus. Uh, you're causing too much trouble. Uh, the Romans are now, um, you're on their, their watch list, I guess uh, you could say. And so you are being branded as uh, an insurrectionist and you're following this King Jesus and the Romans are not going to be okay with that. And so he's, he's landed up in prison yet again. Uh, thanks in part, of course, to some of the Jews stirring up trouble for him. But here he is in Philippians chapter 4. And he, he just keeps coming back to this idea of, I can do anything. I can, I can undergo this trial uh, because of Christ. And that's, that's really what's at the crux, what's at the center of Philippians 4, verse 13, when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's not saying, um, I have a dream and God, since he's in me, since Christ is inside of me, living inside of me, as is the Holy Spirit, as is the Father. That's what scripture says. So just because they are, just because God is living inside of me, uh, then he will empower me to live out my dream. That, that's not what First Corinthians, or what Philippians 4 verse 13 says. That's not what he's implying. That's not what he's talking about. In fact, that is an abuse to the text. 
Um, anytime you use this text to say, well, God has given me the power to do that, it's, that's not what this passage is talking about. It's not even talking about a physical thing, so certainly not any kind of sporting event or anything like that um, would be out of bounds for this verse. So let's back up. You've seen it. You've seen uh, read for you Philippians 4, 10 through 15. Just back, up, back on up to Philippians chapter 1, uh, verse 12. Really, this, this whole book uh, is about this, this one central topic. Uh, Paul loves this congregation. He calls them his crown and his joy. He is more proud of them, perhaps, than many of the other congregations that he's founded. Uh, you heard in the reading tonight from Derek that when he came into Macedonia, if you remember those, the circumstances under which he came into Macedonia, he comes to Macedonia because the Holy Spirit, has, in a vision, has told him to come into Macedonia. His plan was not to go into Macedonia, the region where Philippi is. It's also the region where Thessalonica and Berea are. And you'll be able to read about those congregations, uh, the founding of those congregations in Acts, starting around chapter 16, 17, 18, uh, records the... Paul meeting and entering into and all of his trials that are involved with the cities and the churches in Macedon. Um, so that, that's how he, he comes to Macedonia. It had not been his plan to do so. He had, he, had, he had planned on going somewhere else. But the Holy Spirit in the form of a vision comes to him and says, come, come to Macedonia. Uh, there's open doors for you here. And so the very first city he meets is Philippi. And through some unfortunate uh, circumstances, Paul is forced to leave Philippi. And, um, but he, he's met the Philippian jailer there. He's met Lydia. He's met several people, and, they, and they've, they've formed a church there in Philippi. Um, but he's forced to leave Philippi, and, he, and he's, he goes on to Thessalonica, where yet another mob forms. But he's there for a couple of weeks. And in the, the reading that Derek uh, read for you tonight, down towards the verse 15 or so, Paul says, when I left you, I moved to Thessalonica, and this congregation immediately started sending him money, funds, so that he can continue doing the work that was so necessary. They had benefited greatly for, from his ministry, and they wanted others to do so as well. And so they sent him money, apparently more than once. He says time and again um, they have sent him money to fund his ministry. Uh, so he can continue doing the things that God has, has blessed him uh, with being able to do. And so this congregation is one that is worthy to be praised. But when he writes this letter, Paul is in some difficult circumstances. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. That's really all Paul cares about. He cares about advancing the gospel. He is single-minded. You ever known anybody like that? That's just so focused on, the, on their goal. <clears throat> you cannot distract them. Uh, or if they leave it, they will come immediately right back to it. That's, that's exactly who Paul is. He cares about advancing the gospel. And everything else is, is kind of peripheral. And so... Uh, he says, what has happened to me, my, my current imprisonment, the beatings that I have received, um, the current restrictions uh, that I'm undergoing, like he can't go wherever he wants to go. He's, he's, he's in prison, right? Um, so verse 13 he says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. He's been preaching while he's been in chains. Uh, 
In verse 14, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So he's like, this is good. It's good that I'm in chains because the gospel is not only still being preached, but it's reaching places it would not be able to reach otherwise. The, the imperial guard, Caesar's Roman guards, would not have had the opportunity otherwise to hear the gospel. But now Paul's got a captive audience. There's somebody sitting in his cell with him. And that person is an imperial guard, one of Caesar's Roman guards. And so Paul has a captive audience. The guard thinks that Paul's the captive audience. Paul sees it a little bit different. The guard's the one who's forced to be there. Um, and Paul is taking advantage of of his presence, and he's teaching on the gospel, and, and he does that repeatedly. You just keep running through the book of Philippians, and you'll see time and time again where Paul says, um, I'm in a bad situation, but the Holy Spirit's making good out of this. It, it's going well. Um, this is a tough situation, but I am content. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to stay here. How many of us could say that? Man, if we were in Paul's shoes, if we were in prison for our faith, how many of us could say, this is good. The the gospel is reaching spots that it's never reached before, that it it would be tough for it to reach if I wasn't right here. I'm I'm content. I'm happy to stay right here. That's kind of what Paul is espousing throughout this letter. Flip on over, back over to chapter 4. <clears throat> Again, Philippians is a short book, so a letter. Um, you should go back through and read the entire thing. It is a, a joy to read. Uh, you will be impressed with these Philippians' faith, um, with their actions. But Philippians 4 really provides the context that we need to grab a hold of uh, verse 13 and do so in a, uh, in a good way. So... Philippians chapter 4, at the beginning of this uh, chapter, he starts talking about these two ladies, Iodia and Synecdoche, and they've got some problem. We don't know what, what that problem is. Um, Paul doesn't let us in on what their issue is, but there's some disagreement that these two ladies are really butting heads with, and he kind of says, listen, you guys are, are both co-workers of mine in the gospel, and so stop, stop disagreeing. Remember, be focused on the gospel. What matters is that the gospel is reaching new places, new people, um, and, and your personal quabbles don't, don't really matter. So find a way to, to connect. Find a way to, to agree. Uh, don't be anxious about anything in verse 6. You're worried about some stuff that doesn't really matter. You worry about things that, that do matter. And by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, you make your request known to God. Um, and He's going to provide... All the things that you need. That key, it's another tenet that keeps coming up. He's going to provide all the things that you need. In verse 10, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And what he's talking about there is, is this monetary support that they once gave him back when he was in Thessalonica. It, it has dwindled and dropped off now. Uh, I don't know how long it's been. He doesn't record for us how long it's been since their last check, you know, um, since the last uh, money that, that they had given to him. He doesn't record for us how long it's been since that happened. But it's been some time, apparently. Uh, and he says, you, you didn't lack the love 
you wanted to send it to me, you just couldn't. Philippi is in a poor um, area. Uh, the Philippian congregation is um, uh, in need of benevolence itself. Uh, these are the ones who, who should be given to, but they're the ones who are giving out of their, uh, out of their lack. They're giving. Uh, and Paul's just impressed with that as, as we are, of course. Um, and so he says, you've, you've revived your concern for me. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. He says, I, I don't really need anything. But Paul didn't, did you eat supper last night? Oh, no, not really. Did you eat lunch? No, not really. You're content? Absolutely. I've got everything I need. God's been gracious. He's been kind to me. But, but what about this? You don't have your freedom. That's fine. The gospel's reaching spots that, that it would have never reached otherwise. In verse 12, he says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He says, I've I, I figured out how to live in a way that's consistent with the gospel, even when I'm in a difficult situation. That's really what Philippians 4 is about. I've learned how to live in a way that's consistent with the gospel. I've learned to be content, even when my situation isn't what I would desire. That's a hard lesson to learn, isn't it? How many of us have been there where you think, I, I want to be content, but I'm struggling. I just don't know how to get there, you know? I think Paul would tell us, and I think the book of Philippians points us to this fact. Whenever we're looking out for ourselves, contentment is next to impossible, right? Flip back over to Philippians 2. Listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 2. In verse 3, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then in verses 5 through 11, he's going to put Christ up as the model that we should follow. Jesus is God, had all the equality with God, had, was and is com completely God, but didn't count any of that worthy to be held on to. Instead, released all of that, emptied himself of deity, and came to be like us. He says, you should be the exact same way. If you put other people first, that's where contentment can be found. That if it's a me first, I'm looking out for my needs. What I need is more important than what you need. That's, not, that's never going to get you to where you want to be. In fact, uh, I love the way he phrases it in, in verse 4. Let, not, uh, let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You're more important than me. That, that's, what Paul's, that's what the Holy Spirit is using Paul to say here. You're more important than me. And so I look to your interests and put mine on the back burner. And you do the exact same thing 
for me. And so that's, that's how this functions. If I'm constantly looking out for me, I'll never be content. Not even if I live in a mansion. Not even if I drive five cars. Not even if I have a huge bank account and get to take vacations all the time and wear the nicest clothes. I will never be content. Because that's a bottomless pit, isn't it? Paul says that's not the way to contentment. In fact, he's going to say, I've had that. I've been in a spot where I had plenty of money, whether it's through congregations supporting him or maybe through his own support. Remember, Paul's a tent maker, a leather worker is what we're supposed to see there. And so it's possible that he has garnered enough support for himself through his working to be able to have what he needs to be in some respects, wealthy, I suppose. And so Paul says, I've been in that setting, and I've been content there too. Later in First Timothy, he's going to tell Timothy, you watch out, in chapter 4, right? You watch out for the love of money, because it'll grab you and tear you apart. It's dangerous. The love of money is dangerous. And so he says, well, I've been in that situation where I had an abundance. And I learned to be content in that spot. That's hard, isn't it? Hold your finger in Philippians 4. Flip back over to Proverbs. This is my favorite proverb because it challenges me so much. Proverbs chapter 30. I think we've pointed to this proverb before. But if, if you've never read it, this, uh, this will challenge you as well. Proverbs chapter 30. Talking about living in abundance. Uh, and in 21st century America, if there's one word that might characterize our existence, it is abundance. Uh, if you were to go almost literally anywhere else in the world, because you're an American, you are wealthy. If you make $20,000 a year, live on Medicare, all that stuff in Africa, you're wealthy. You're wealthier than 99% of the people there. Same thing in South America, same thing in Asia. Most of the world lives off under $1 a day. Right? If there's one word that would characterize our existence in America, it's abundance. And so we need to figure out how to be content in our abundance, if we're going to have it. If not, we need to learn to give it away. Scary thought, right? It gets scarier. Check out what Proverbs says. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. This is his prayer, right? He's talking to Yahweh. He's talking to God. He says, I've got two things that I want to ask of you, and I'm pleading with you to give them to me before I die. Verse 8, remove far from me falsehood and lying. That sounds good, right? No, nobody wants to be accused of being a liar. Nobody wants to be a liar. Keep deceit, keep all that stuff uh, a mile away from me. Makes sense. Give me neither poverty. Oh, man, I don't want to be poor, right? I don't want to be poor. There's too much struggle that comes with poor. Give me neither poverty nor riches. 
what? Right? You might want to underline riches. Because that's one of the things he prays for. Don't make me super poor, but don't also, don't also make me super rich. I, I don't need an abundance. Because abundance has a way of capturing your mind, doesn't it? And it has a way of leading you away from God. That's what he's going to say in Timothy uh, about the love of money, right? So you can have money, but it depends on how you think about it. Whether you love it or whether it's just a tool to get you uh, what you need and to be able to help in the kingdom. So, verse 80 says, Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. You know what, he, you know what he's saying there, right? Help me live day by day with the food that you've given me. So don't, don't give me more bread than I can have today. seems like the Israelites did that at one point, didn't they? For about 40 years or so, they had daily bread, right? Manna was rained down from heaven, and they had to go out every day and, and pick it up off the, off the ground, and that was their, their daily ration. And the, the idea there was dependence on God. He wanted them to be dependent on Him. Stop, stop depending on yourself. Stop trying to figure this stuff out on your own. You trust Him. You trust Him more than you trust yourself. So you depend on him. And if you were to pick up more than you could eat in one day, it goes bad by the next day and you can't eat it anyhow. Interestingly enough, in Matthew 5, excuse me, Matthew 6, when Jesus uh, is asked by his apostles how to pray, you remember one of the things he says? Give us this day our daily bread. He's still teaching dependence on him. And that's exactly what he's teaching here in Proverbs chapter 30. Check out verse 9. Here's the reason I don't want abundance, and here's the reason I don't want poverty. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? That happens, doesn't it? Often, what will, ha what will we do with money? We'll trust it, won't we? We'll love it. We'll make it our God. And he says, there's, there's danger there. You guys remember going up Greasy Ridge? I, I think it was last year uh, where the road had slipped away. You guys remember that? Uh, I went up there a couple weeks, I guess, before um, they had put the signs up there. Uh, and there was, there was, the road was just gone. <laughs> and if I had not been paying attention or if it had been at night, uh, that could have been a different story, you know? It's, there's danger. There's danger there. And, and, and that's what the Bible uh, says about money. There's, there's danger there because it... It pushes you. It encourages you to trust it. And God says, well, you can only serve one master. You can only trust one thing. and You can either trust God or money. And you don't really have any other options. And that's what he's saying here in Proverbs 30 as well. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or on the opposite side, he says, well, that's what people with, with an abundance might say. But what about the people that are on the other side and, and live in poverty? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. And so there's, there's, there's this idea of I need to be content. I, I don't want too much because that might take my eyes off of you, off of what's really important, things that have eternal significance. He says, I don't want to be distracted by shiny things because the shiny things 
won't always be shiny. And they're not going to last. And they don't have eternal significance. Those things are going to be burned up at the, at, if they last until that, that day. On that day, they will be burned up and they will not be useful. You're not going to be able to get to heaven and pull out your bank account and say, oh, this is what I, what I have in there. God's not going to care. Did you trust me? Were you content with what you had? I mean, on the other side, I don't want to be so poor, so needy that, that I'm almost encouraged or forced to steal because that would disgrace the God that I say I serve. And so Proverbs 30 is really talking about contentment. And, and Paul in Philippians 4 follows up that thought, doesn't he? Um, he's figured it out. If he has abundance, he's learned how to not get distracted because he knows like many of us know, that stuff doesn't have eternal significance. It's going to be burned up. It's just a tool that I'm using so that I can confirm my trust in God and to make inroads in His kingdom. It's just a tool for those things. So the abundance that we have that's that's what it's for and if we can learn to be content with it great it's awfully dangerous so don't get distracted by it but also paul says well i've learned how to be content in in my neediness too i don't i'm not going to steal i'm, I'm not going to disgrace my god because i live in need instead Instead of doing those things, look in verse 13, Philippians 4, verse 13. Now we really come to the point, don't we? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He's taught me how to live in contentment, in abundance, and he's taught me how to live in contentment, in poverty. I, I figured it out. He, he has supplied the strength so that I can do this thing. You're beginning to see why putting this on the back of a jersey or on your eye black or... Uh, on a stadium or something like that, cheapens this verse. Uh, it's, there's power here. And may we never make light of it so that we can win a game or get a scholarship or do an art project or whatever it is. I've seen this verse used in so many weird contexts. Um, Jesus really he gave me the power to, to do this art project. That's not what Philippians 4, 13 says. It's all about contentment. And I've learned what's important. I've learned what's important. I've learned I can live without a whole bunch of things. And I've learned what I can't live without. I need Him. And I need His people. And I need His Word. I need His Spirit. And there's a whole bunch of things I don't need. I don't need a brand new car. I don't need a big bank account. I don't need brand new clothes. Like, there's a whole laundry list of things that I don't need, but there's a whole laundry list of things that I do. And they're all spiritual, right? And he said, he's, his power has enabled me to focus on these things and discount these things, to see these things for what they really are. Jesus is going to say in Matthew 6 that these things, uh, either moth and rust are going to decay and eat them, or later in Peter, he's going to say they're going to be burned up. So these things aren't going to last. And even if they did last, what good are they going to get you? They're not going to buy your way into heaven. 
They're going to buy your way into the church. They're not going to buy your way into spirituality. These things, they're, in, they're immaterial. They're immaterial. But these things, these spiritual things, the things that he's taught me to, to rely on him, how to be content with, with nothing and with abundance, these things are what matter, not a focus on those things. I need to drill down on those things. Because those are the things that have eternal significance. So I'm learning to be content. In verse 14, you, you just kind of got to see this, this section of, of Philippians 4 because it's, it's, it's really interesting, I think. Philippians 4, verse 14, he says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift. Here's the interesting part in verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have, I have received full payment and more. I, have, I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. You know, you know what he's really saying there? If you read between the lines what he's saying there, if you were talking to the Philippian congregation, he might phrase it something like this. I really appreciate y'all's gift. Don't do that again. It was really kind of you guys to, to send that, that, that gift. Um, I appreciate what it says about your, your heart and your love for me and your love for the gospel. All, all those things are powerful. And those are, I, I love the sacrifice that, that this gift implies about your faith. Don't do that again. I'm fine. I am fine. I've figured, I figured it out. Jesus has taught me how to focus on things that matter and how to discount things that don't. I don't need your money. I'm happy. Incidentally, he's going to say that to at least the Corinthian congregation and maybe multiple congregations throughout his ministry where he's going to be accused of being a money monger, like, like he needs the money, like he's, he's making money off the gospel. And Paul will be so offended by that because that he's lived his life in a way that would refute that claim with every word. He says, I've made sacrifices for the gospel. And now Jesus has taught me how to be in abundance and also to, to be in need and not, not, not sin in either way. I'm content with what I've got. That's what Philippians 4.13 is about. It's, it's about God teaching us how to Focus on the things that don't matter and discounting the things. Or it's about teaching us to focus on the things that do matter and discounting the things that don't matter. Because there are so many things that we get caught up on that don't matter. They don't have eternal significance. So he says, I've learned through Christ and the power that he has to do all things has nothing to do with dreaming a dream or, or doing any of those things. It, it has everything to do with being content inside of Christ. Paul himself is probably the best illustration for that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul has this thorn in his flesh, and he's prayed three times now for it to be alleviated, to be alleviated of, of this thorn. Um, and God has refused now three times. 
and what God says to them is maybe something that we need to allow to sink down inside of us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, Paul's recording this interaction with, with God. He says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Paul says, it doesn't have anything to do with me. I'm drawing the strength from Jesus. He is my center. He is he's everything that matters. And so I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Tonight, if you're struggling... We want to help you in any way we can. If you need to be baptized to put on Christ in, in baptism, to have your sins washed away, we want to aid you in that way. If we can help you uh, with a prayer, uh, asking God for forgiveness, uh, pleading with the congregation here to forgive us, uh, that would be certainly what we uh, would want to do there. I need to make one thing uh, clear from, from this morning. When uh, Aaron Thompson came forward this morning, uh, I, I misunderstood. I think she was saying that she wants... Um, uh, to be more connected to the congregation as a whole. Um, certainly appreciates the individual support, but wants to be more connected to the congregation as a whole. And so maybe, maybe that's your need uh, tonight. Maybe, maybe you want to be connected uh, in a more um, deep way to this congregation. We want to help you in any way we can. Why don't you come as we stand and sing? I
I'm going to ask Mike Williams to come up and say a prayer for Carter. Uh, just a sec. Carter Thompson comes forward uh, this morning, he's, or this evening. He's saying that uh, he knows he's not living right. He wants to do better. He sees some room for growth in his walk with Christ, and certainly that is something to be commended. Uh, we want to help him in every way we can do that. Um, so I'm going to ask Mike if you won't mind come say a prayer for Carter. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you at this time, Lord, just thanking you for being our God. We thank you for this avenue of prayer that, that you allow us to have that was made possible through your son Jesus' death on the cross. And Father, we thank you for, for Carter. We thank you for his desire to, to live right, to follow you, Father, to live according to your word, and we thank you for their family, the Thompson family, for what they mean to us here at Rome. And Father, we just pray for all of our, our young teens and kids and the challenges and the difficulties that this world presents to, to all of us, but especially that age. We pray that you'll strengthen each of them Help them to follow you, to understand that the temptations of this world, Father, are, are not what's important, but living a life for you, Lord. Father, just uh, continue to be with us as a congregation. Help us to do our part to, to bring up the next generation, to know you, to live for you, and that we all can gain strength from each other, from your word. Lord, we are so thankful for Jesus Christ and what he means to us, realizing that we all fall short, we all have struggles, and we thank you that Carter had the courage to come forward and to reveal those to, to you and to the congregation, and, and we all can understand that those struggles and, and what the challenges that we face in this life and we thank you that Jesus paved the way for us to be forgiven and that your word gives us a road map to help guide us through this life and it's through Jesus Christ we pray these things amen good evening church family a uh, couple announcements before we are dismissed. As reminders, that uh, Ladies of Joys will meet this Tuesday at 6.30 here at the building. There will be Bible bingo and Mexican will be on the menu. Also, high school and middle school devotional at my house uh, after services tonight. Um, uh, deacons, don't forget we have a meeting next Sunday uh, at 5 o'clock. Also, Young at Heart will meet next Tuesday um, we had to change the location. Originally, we had Texas Roadhouse. Um, there's a small problem. They don't open um, for lunch. So we can't go to Texas Roadhouse. So we're going to Longhorn Steakhouse on 60, um, right there in front of Academy and um, Menards. Also, uh, we're still needing Bible class teachers for um, Bible Hour. If you can help out with that, please uh, see Connie and Jeremy. Uh, remember, continue to keep the Jones family 
in your prayers to the passing of Mildred Jones' sister. Uh, keep them in your prayers. Also keep uh, the Witt family in your prayers. Elaine's brother passed away. Uh, keep them in your prayers. Uh, Mern, continue to keep Jimmy Wilgus, Terry Leap, Jennifer Baker, and Amber Spitzer in your prayers as they continue with their cancer treatments. And keep Jamie Estes in your prayers. That's all the announcements I have. If you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it has been prepared in the conference room. You may leave and do that now. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Our closing song tonight, number 111. We'll sing this song and then have our closing prayer. <coughs> well, if you can, please, let's stand for our final song. Come with that love the Lord and let our joy be known. Join in a song with sweet accord. Join in a song with sweet accord. And thus around the throne and thus around the throne. Where marching to Zion, Let's pray. Father, thank you that we could come together and strengthen and support each other in the congregation. Thank you for that we could obey your orders and worship and please you. And thank you for the new covenant, which teaches us to go and fight your battles and strengthens us. In Jesus' name, amen.